Here we go. I don't know what number episode it is. I want to say 153. I did record an episode last week that was supposed to re- uh, release last week and had some major, major issues with some technology. So here we go. I'm going to try it again. wasn't sure about the topic last week. Maybe I'll revisit it. Um, but I think what I'm going to talk about today might be just a little bit more important. Um, I'm trying. I've adjusted the height of the camera, by the way. If you're just listening, this doesn't apply to you. I've adjusted the height of the camera, so I feel like I'm looking at it a little more. I got some feedback that I didn't look at the camera often until the end of the podcast last last one. So this is new, doing the video thing. Um, here we are. Um, follow us, follow me on Instagram, O2EJourney is the handle. Um, like, review, and share, even if it's a bad review. It's better than nothing. Even if it's not a five-star review, let me know what I'm doing. Interact with me. Um, on social media, on Apple is the best place to review, but on any of the platforms you listen on, whether it be Spotify, Stitcher, um, uh, Podgeek, whatever they are, um, they're everywhere. So, yeah, I'd love it if you guys could rate and review and share. Let somebody know. Even if even if you think it's just a talking point, I'm always sharing podcasts and books with people. Maybe try the same thing. So here we go. Um, today I'm going to talk about nuance. Um, and maybe the denial of nuance or the lack of nuance in terms of thinking and talking and, and what's expected of people. And the reason this came around, again, if, if you're only listening to this and not watching... I have this light board behind me, so think of like a cinema thing that lights up, you put letters in, make quotes and such. So I take a picture of what I put up there every day, so there's a different quote or a different little um, fun anecdote that I can put on there. Um, I have four lines to play with, if I put the date on there it reduces it to three lines. But one day I put on there that don't fall in love with the pro- or don't love the uh, the results, love the process. And I shared it with a couple of people that pushed back that loving the results is okay. And I wanted to, it it irritated me because I got into a conversation with a couple of people about nuance. Um, And basically what the nuance was that, well, if you're only focused on the result, what happens when you get to the result? So you've put all these processes in place, you've created a, a lifestyle and a way of doing things, and then you get to the result. So do you just stop? So for me, the result should always be moving and the, the goalpost should always be moving in a way that drives you forward, right? Um, so if you focus on the processes, so let's, for instance, focus on fitness. If you've got a fitness goal of hitting 195 pounds, okay, and you're at 210 pounds and you get to that 195 pounds, well, what happens then? Are you done? You reach the result? And that's what you were focused on, so now you stop. Or do you have progressive fitness goals where it's not a result, it's a sequence of results, and the results are always changing? Therefore, the process to get there is what you have to make habitual, what you have to grow to love. Um, Or, if you don't love it, you have to make it palatable so that it's something you can stick with. So I've talked about habits before. But anyway, that's kind of the genesis of this. Um... I got into it with one person in particular, I won't say who it was, if they ever listen to this, I'm sure we'll have a conversation offline about it again, 
who basically said I was too much and that I'm an against the grain thinker. And for some reason it irked me. Um, not because any of that is particularly offensive. I think what irked me was more that my response is internally, because I kind of ended the conversation there. Internally, I'm thinking, well, of course I'm an against the grain thinker because there's nuance in everything. And, you know, I even gave an example to this person where I said, look, if, if your result is to have a perfect wedding and on your wedding day, the first thing that happens is your flowers get destroyed, so you have to use generic flowers and you don't have your perfect flowers, is your day ruined because your wedding isn't perfect, the result isn't perfect? And then the response was, well, that's emotional intelligence. And I pointed out, well, emotional intelligence is literally nuance because what you're trying to do is understand where someone came from, how they got to where they're going. Um, you're applying emotional intelligence to situations. So, yeah, it, it kind of uh, it baffles me that, that we kind of deny nuance. Um, we take these complex problems and we oversimplify them. And I think the, uh, the overwhelming majority of us are still on social media. And if you just scroll on social media, you see these complex issues boiled down to a meme. So it's a picture with maybe 20 words, at most. 20 words is a lot. And we take these hyper-complex um, situations, whether it's geopolitics or sport or how much someone earns, how much tax someone pays, whatever it is. And all we want to focus on is one part of that and ignore the nuance that goes into making a situation real. So um, I think another another example I would give is world hunger. So a few months ago, uh, some organization, I'm trying to remember who it was, whether it was World Health Alliance or something like that, they called out Elon Musk and basically said, hey, if you donated $6 billion, we could solve world hunger. And Elon Musk tweeted back at them, show me the plan, let me see how $6 million will alleviate world hunger. And all he had were crickets. So he was willing to write a check, sell enough shares. He literally said in his tweet he would sell shares and donate the $6 billion, with a B, by the way, donate the $6 billion if he can eliminate world hunger and you can show him a plan that he would do it. At that point, people kind of shrunk. People stopped speaking out against that. Um, instead, it turned to you didn't pay any taxes in this year. And... You can't blame him for not paying taxes that year. You blame the tax code. So this is like blaming a consumer for a product being bad. So the US government makes a tax code and creates loopholes that people are going to apply. The other thing, again, if we want to talk nuance with that situation, Elon Musk has a net worth of whatever it is. It's up close to $200 billion, I believe. Um, him and Bezos kind of switch places on who's first and who's second in terms of the richest. Um, so he has, a, he has a net worth. That net worth is tied to the value of the shares that he owns in his company. So I think a lot of you might understand this, but for those of you that don't, that doesn't mean he has hundreds of billions of dollars in the bank. Every time he wants to spend money, a substantial amount of money, he has to sell off enough of the shares that he owns in order to liquidate that. So it's called unrealized capital gains. Yes, he has a large net worth. 
yes, he can spend a lot of money, but there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. So just because he has that net worth, it doesn't mean that... So for instance, during COVID, again, nuance, during COVID, everybody talked about, well, he's worth so much more money, and they, they kind of attribute that to now he has X amount more cash, and that's not how that works. So that was just a, a story that I thought might... Um, I thought might explain why I, I want to dive into nuance and discuss it a little bit. Um, something I see a lot is people on both sides of the political divide. They talk about Orwellian, um, Orwellian themes and Orwellian books, right? So the two main books that people will reference are 1984 and Animal Farm. And I think when we talk about Orwellian... First off, the guy was a great author ahead of his time. If you haven't read Animal Farm or 1984, I highly suggest you do. Um, but I think when people talk about Orwellian in nature, they haven't read either book and they know little bits. So, for instance, everybody knows that the Big Brother concept, Big Brother's Watching, that's from 1984. What they don't know is that the Big Brother Watching and all of the other parts that go with it play into a longer more protracted totalitarian state um so yeah at first big brother was watching to keep people safe after a major event then it led to you can't think or act or do anything different from what we say is acceptable and that's where the thought police comes in um i'm kind of conflating a whole book here but it's it's a complex book there's a lot of themes running through it and i think that often people are referencing it without understanding or even having read the nuances throughout the book. And then Animal Farm is essentially, it's it's one huge metaphor because it's animals and they create this socialist government. And one of my favorite lines is in that book, and I might, it might not be exactly what I'm about to say, but it's essentially all pigs are equal or all animals are equal except the animals that are more equal. And that's kind of why at scale socialism tends not to work and again not a political broadcast i'm not trying to change anybody's mind on socialism or or conservatism or, or republican or democrat i'm just saying that there's broader concepts and when people talk about orwellian states and and how 1984 might be coming true I, I, i'm going to go ahead and say the majority of people haven't read either book and don't know what they're talking about um and the nuances within have to be appreciated and applied to what's going on daily um we're obviously right in the middle of this uh, Russia-Ukraine stuff, and it, it's been an interesting little uh, adventure for me because a lot of people think, oh, Stephen's a token European in our friend group, and they reach out asking for some color on what's going on. And frankly, it's <laughs> if I was to boil it down, like if I was to simplify this without looking at any nuance, which is why this is dangerous, it's a big, strong country taking a shit on a little, small country. And it's been happening for tens of thousands of years, as long as human beings have been on Earth. Um, I would also point out the nuance that, as Americans and as people from the UK, I'm going to call out both countries, we have somehow learned to ignore some humanitarian issues, but jump on others. So, you know, we uh, collectively... And again, you can fact check this, you can read up on things. We collectively topple African regimes over and over again. 
all right, you want to look at Liberia and um, all these different places that when the dictator is towing the party line, we leave him alone. As soon as he has a thought of his own, we topple him, boom. Put someone else that agrees with the cause in charge. Um, it just so happens that Russia is bigger and stronger than most of those African nations. You know, we're, we're also shown now that, again, nuanced that, hey, maybe China and Taiwan, something there might happen. So the nuance being, um, and why we can't ignore nuance, that what Russia is doing is wrong. There are people in Ukraine that are going to be hurt. It's horrible. But this picking and choosing when we stand against these totalitarian states, it needs to stop. It has, so if you want to conflate an issue, let's conflate an issue and remove nuance from either the US and the UK and whoever else wants to jump on that bandwagon either has to be the world police all the time or not be the world police all the time. You don't get to pick and choose. When you see something bad, you have to do something about it. But then, again, if you want to get into nuance, who decides what's good and who decides what's bad, right? So who makes the rules for the rule the rule makers? Who polices that kind of thing? So it's a whole... The denial of nuance can be dangerous. Um, and that's kind of, again, I'm going to move away from the Orwellian stuff. It's just something that has been sitting on my mind for a long time and something that's front and center, actually, in a lot of conversations I have. Um so I want to give some other examples of nuance. So Scotland, uh, if you're listening to this in the UK, if you're a friend of mine or a family member of mine from Scotland, I think I'm about to give you colour on how I feel about Scotland in general. So first off, over my left shoulder, is probably my right shoulder as you're looking at it, um, is a map of Scotland. I love Scotland. I love my heritage. I love what the country was. Um, I love what the country could be. I also despise Scotland for multiple reasons, and I'm about to go into them. One, we romanticize all the good and we forget about the bad. And I think most countries do that. But what kills me is that if you speak to anybody in Scotland about their heritage and fighting against England and you know, the self-determination, William Wallace, Braveheart, all that shit, they will, it arouses people, and not not sexually, it arouses people, it gets them ready to go, and it, but then in 2014, the country had the, uh, the chance to be self-determining, to have independence from London, from the, from the rest of the UK, and be a single nation, with sovereignty, not this de-evolved bullshit that we have now. Um, and because of religious bigotry and hatred that's hundreds of years old, um, they decided not to do it. That's not okay, all right? I hate the hatred and bigotry, and some people will tell you they're sitting on the fence, but the only reason that Scotland is not an independent nation right now a, a, a prosperous independent nation, by the way, because if you actually dive into the economics of it, we would be a country similar to Norway that with rich in resources, able to provide for itself, but religious bigotry has keeping that from happening, all right? Protestants wanted to stay with England, Catholics wanted to move away, and essentially everybody was influenced one way or the other based on religion. 
the vote was influenced based on religion. So it was a 50, I want to say 55, 45 or 54, 46 or something like that. It was very close in 2014. For that reason, people in Scotland tell me often, well, why do you care? You don't live there. Well, I care because my friends and family are there. And that's the nuance of my country. I love it, but I hate it. All right. I hate visiting it. I hate talking to people that I've always wanted to leave and never have. I hate seeing people settle. Okay. Settle is a word that is so nuanced. It's, it's haunted me since my soccer days because parents and we'll call them bad coaches used to tell people to settle the ball. And I'm like, what do you mean settle the ball? The ball doesn't settle. The friggin' thing's round. It keeps moving. But anyway, in this, in this instance, settle means just living, not prospering. All right. I can go to my hometown, I can go to the same bars and restaurants that I was going to 20 years ago when I lived there, see the same people with the same shitty jobs, doing the same shitty things, and frankly, it's one of the reasons I'm in Florida, probably the biggest reason I'm in Florida, I want my family to visit me here because I have zero interest in visiting Scotland, it's a cesspit of hatred and bigotry, and some people are going to go, oh, but it's beautiful, and the golf courses, and all the Scottish people seem friendly, all of that's true, but underneath the surface... There is just this simmering hatred. I have it. I will openly admit when someone tells me they're a Rangers fan and a Protestant, I don't give them the same shake of the dice that everybody else gets in Scotland. I did something about it. The nuance is I took myself out of that situation. I'm living in America. I don't have that same prejudice to deal with here. On occasion, I'll run into somebody, but like I said, it doesn't happen here. Um, and that's another thing, if you want to talk nuance, I have to do this training once a year for work, and they call it unconscious bias training, which is the most pretentious and insulting bullshit, because I don't have unconscious bias, I don't think any of us do, I think when we're biased against things, we're wholly conscious and wholly aware of it, um, at least I hope so, I know I am, I do have bias, when I, when I meet certain people, when I do certain things, when I'm in certain situations, red flags go up, danger, different different um, cultural settings. You're kind of not sure. You you know It can be anything from I don't like that kind of food to hmm, I don't think I'm going to go down that road because that's a bad neighborhood. So when I say bias, I'm not talking about racial or anything like that. That's a whole different nuance and topic and... I'll probably leave that alone. Um, but yeah, there's there's my, my Scotland love-hate story and, and the nuance there. Um, and, you know, people there get confused because they ask why, why, I, why I care. People here ask why I love the country, and I do. I do love the country, but I cannot stand how it is, where it's going, um, or the fact that it's still determined by people in London who have no clue about working class, middle class, or upper class Scottish people. Um, and the fact that a religious divide basically controlled the entire vote of a nation to be self-determining or not. It's got to be the only country that's ever had the option to be a self-determining, independent, sovereign nation and decided not to do it. Um, another, I won't go into this much, but I'd love to talk to someone that maybe wants to record with me, but free speech. Um, that's something that is highly nuanced. 
Um, and I mean that by even the ACLU back in the 60s and 50s after the Second World War, they went to bat, and I'm not advocating for Nazism whatsoever, but they went to bat for Nazis and basically said, no, they have to have free speech as well. They have to be able to say what they want to say. It's on the rest of us to police our thoughts and not allow for that to infect our thinking as a, as a larger group. Um, and I, I, I actually believe in that. I believe that free speech is going to offend people. I believe that free speech, the you know, the First Amendment here um, in, the, in the States should be protected at all costs. The, uh, the nuance of, well, we're going to let this person talk but not that person, it comes back to what I talked about with the Orwellian stuff. Who decides what's good to talk about and what's bad to talk about? Who decides what's misinformation and disinformation? And who decides what's good? When all when it's all boiled down, it's no different from an Orwell book where the government tells you, you will think this and we have to censor this, this and this. Censorship is something that I am 100% against, but there is a ton of nuance there. Do I want three and four-year-olds to be able to get access to horrific content online? Absolutely not. So can there be barriers or I don't think it should be a no-barrier entry to information. I think that you can certainly create barriers, but you should not create censorship. People shouldn't be deplatformed. Um, you know, these social media companies that are doing what they do, where it's, oh, well, we don't like what you're saying, so we're going to take you off. Again, the nuance there is that someone's deciding that they don't like it. Someone's deciding that that shouldn't make it to public viewership, and that's not okay. So this is where... When, when you want to talk about large-scale issues, we cannot conflate them to memes, okay? So we can't say, orange man bad, don't let him speak. We can't say, Joe Biden's old and senile, we can't let him speak. We have to let them speak, but then we have to make informed decisions. We also shouldn't be dealing with super-curated information. There's always nuance to be discussed. Um, I feel like I'm preaching a little bit, so... Sorry, um, not sorry, just getting some things off my chest, which is what this is all about, right? Um, geopolitics, it's another thing that's super, super complex, um, super nuanced, but yet somehow we find ourselves kind of conflating issues to Putin's bad, Ukraine's good, everybody jump on. I'm not saying that's not the case, I'm just saying that we always talk about empathy as a as a nation, as as people one on one in groups, and I think whether we agree with what Putin's doing or not, there has to be a certain empathy empathy to the fact that he does have support for what he's doing, not from everybody. The same way in our countries, the UK and the US, some people don't have support for everything they're doing. That's the beauty of nuance, right? And if we support politicians. The way we support teams, you know, actually this probably isn't a great example. I'm a huge Lakers fan, have been for most of my life. Um, remember having Kobe Bryant jerseys and such when I was a teenager. Um, the Lakers were there before Bryant, they'll be there after Bryant. But they did sign LeBron James, who I can't stand. Haven't watched the Lakers game since they signed him, won't watch a Lakers game till he's gone. So saying that people support... Um, politicians like uh 
like a sports team probably isn't the best example for me personally, but I think on the whole, people support their sports teams through everything, regardless of what they're doing, what the record is. Um, and that's what we're seeing with politicians right now. You know, I would say that I don't identify as right or left. I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I hate them both. I think they're all twisted. Um, I'm not anti-government, but I'm anti how the government is. Um, I'm anti giving the government more programs to screw up. So I think we, again, have found this way of conflating entirely complex issues, and we have a list of issues for each side, right? So the right, it's like, if you're going to support Republicans, this is what you have to believe in. If you're going to support Democrats, this is what you have to believe in. And what it should be is we go, well, I support that, and I support that, and we go back and forward, side to side, and from there, you find a candidate who matches most of what you believe in, or what's the one thing or the two things that you truly, truly believe in? Because I tell you now, we have a lot of hypocrites that are denying nuance and standing for platforms and standing for people when their lifestyle and what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't match up with what they're professing. So, you know, maybe it's a cop-out for me to say I'm not left or right because then I can pick and choose, but it's where I'm at. I think there's good Democratic candidates. I think there's good Republican candidates. And they're called moderates now and they're usually called out by their parties. Um, and unfortunately, that that's not popular right now. So again, nuance, don't deny it. It's there, it's in politics, and political issues are hyper-complex. I don't care if it's Roe versus Wade or, um, you know, uh, we'll call it climate change. It's not global warming anymore, it's climate change. Um, there is climate change, but what we've got to figure out is, first off, what effect are we having? Um, what can we do? what's realistic to do versus what's this grand plan that I don't know what's going on up there but someone above me is is wheeling something around it sounds like it's wild um hopefully that doesn't show up on the recording but it's hard to to concentrate um yeah so I guess I would finish by saying it there's also a lot of nuance in morality um and you know this is something that morality isn't something that I necessarily think can be legislated for, okay? And that's not to say that you you shouldn't have laws. Again, I'm not anti-government um, or anti-law. Um, when I say morality shouldn't be legislated for, what I mean is we shouldn't have laws on the books that say, well, you, you can't wear that and you can't do this and so on and so forth. Um, morality is like we can all agree that killing people is wrong but then there's nuance there right so what's the morality of killing someone that's a serial killer for instance what's the morality of putting someone to death that you know it's been around for again thousands of years the human race has been doing it again i'm not pro or anti-death penalty there's a lot of nuance in the arguments right so you know i think it's easy to advocate for well let's get let's do away with the death penalty but then what if that serial killer had killed one of your family members? Or what if that that um, pedophile had decided that it was your kid or one of your kids that they were going to mess with? Um, so 
when we when we when we take morality as a whole and try and boil it down and conflate it to these simple statements, usually if-then statements, and by if-then statement, it's well, if you don't be- if you believe in in um, the death penalty, then you're a murderer. Well, first off, no, that's not true. If you don't believe in the death penalty, then you're soft on crime. Well, no, that's not true. I think what we have to do, and again, if if you want to talk nuance and get into that, I'm throwing a lot of different topics out here that could be entire podcast, but um, I think we have to find that balance between a penal system and a rehabilitation system, right? So there should be penalties for crimes, but there should also be a pathway to say, hey, here's what you did wrong. You can reassimilate back into society, but you have to do these things. And the same could be said for drug users and alcoholics and all of these different things, right? So the nuance lies within you define what you want it to be and then you build around it. And we can have discussions on morality. We can have discussions on on racism. We can have discussions without just blanketing everybody else and saying, hey, just because someone thinks that... Just because someone thinks A doesn't mean that they are B, right? So if-then statements are generally what morality gets boiled down to and it's usually bullshit, all right? Um, Because I would say this, first of all, we've all done things that are immoral by someone's standards, even if it's not by your standards. But, and I love this, I heard this on a a podcast I was listening to actually advocating to get some people out of prison, which I completely agree with, people that are in there for nonviolent drug crimes and such. Um, and he said, we're all better than the worst thing that we've done. And that that's across the board. But we have to talk about the nuance and all of those things as well. So there we go. I guess I'm about 30 minutes in on this. I'm going to leave it there. But I guess the overarching message I would say is let's stop denying nuance. Let's seek nuance. Let's have conversations in the nuance. The gray areas matter. The gray areas are where we can find commonalities and actually repair things. But when we conflate things down to either or, red or blue, black or white, that's where issues come. So there we go. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Please rate, review, share. You can get me on Instagram at O2E Journey. Um, and I will be back next week. Till the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other.